Hi, everybody. Welcome to That's Life, where yesterday I drove into work and had the save of my life, and I will explain what that means in a moment. In a moment. Good morning, everyone. I'm Miriam L. Wallach. Thank you for listening. I am blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nachum's live lunch, coming to you from the home of the Nachum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side on this chilly Thursday morning. I am joined by Avrami. Avrami is engineering from Baltimore, so you cannot hear him, but he is waving to me via Skype. I thank him for his help. Thank you, Avrami. And I uh, did a great live lunch yesterday as Avrami hosts a live lunch on Wednesdays from 11 to 1. I thank him for that. And I thank him for pitching in today from our Baltimore studio. So here's what I mean. I rarely drive into Manhattan when I commute to work because it is an absolute pain in the neck. And being that I had mentioned last week that the commute was going so smoothly and I thanked everyone who had bolted out of town because it was you know, holiday season around here and people were on vacation, that it made it kadai, it made it worthy or worthwhile, I should say, to drive into Manhattan. It would make the commute on the train shorter. Well, last uh, yesterday morning, um, I decided to drive in simply because I had to pay a shiva call after work and it just made more sense to take the car. Well, besides the fact that the commute itself took 45 minutes, which is crazy because the drive in from the five towns to the Lower East Side usually takes 90 minutes. In addition, um, God, again, shown his wonderful, unbelievable graces on me. There was a train derailment yesterday, a Long Island Railroad train derailment on the Farakaway branch into Atlantic Terminal in Brooklyn. And that is the train I take in the morning. It arrives in Atlantic Terminal around 8.11 uh, when it runs on time, and I am in Brooklyn Terminal for uh, Atlantic Terminal, I should say, for about 15 minutes or so while I get the subway and I get off the train, et cetera, et cetera. And the train derailment happened with that train. So I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. And there were over 100 injuries on that train. None were life-threatening. It seems that the worst of all of the injuries was a broken leg. But a number of people were posting on Facebook yesterday that, thank God, they were fine and they were safe. This person had minimal injuries. This person was taken to Methodist Hospital. Everyone, thank God, was relatively okay in comparison to, heaven forbid, what could have happened. But it was a pretty shocking moment when I uh, found out that that was my train. But thank God all was well. And um, I really actually just want to thank everyone who either messaged me on Facebook or texted me or our listeners who commented, are you okay? I know you take the train. You know, you never know which train somebody takes, but um, that is my train. So now if you're looking for me, by the way, at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm on that train. But yes, but thank God everything is fine. And most people, for the most part, again, injuries were minimal. Thank God everything was really okay. But yes, I... uh, Not only did I have a really short commute, but my commute was absolutely safe. So thank God for all of that. National holidays. Today is National Bird Day. I I don't want to celebrate that. No offense to people who own birds. It's not my thing. Uh, Excellent launch event. One week ago today, it was the Gershon Varoba uh, album launch event at the Doghouse. You can check out the video. It is still available on NahumSiegel.com. Kol HaKavod to everyone from this team who did a spectacular performance, a spectacular broadcast last week. And to Gershon and his team, Ani Israel is really in, uh, it's a very impressive album. Nachum had commented a number of times during last week's launch party, launch event, 
that uh, he hangs out with a number of music critics, all of whom had only praise for the album. And while I had a feeling that he was winking at me, because as you can imagine, folks, I you know, I'm critical of everything. Uh, I really, really, really enjoy the album. So Colt Kavod to Gershon and to all part of his team. Follow us on Twitter, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word. Miriam L. Wallach, also all one word. My guest today is a returning guest here to That's Life. He is a name you're familiar with. And uh, he's a name you're familiar with for mental health, for physical health, and for psychological health, and for, for overall well-being. Dr. Michael Solomon joins me. He is a fellow of the American Psychological Association, the author of numerous articles and books. Most recently, Abuse in the Jewish Community is in Urim Publications. He he is also the senior psychologist and director of ADC Psychological Services, located in Hewlett, New York. That's psychologicalhelp.org. You can find him there. And I wish a good morning to, Mike, to Dr. Solomon. Good morning. I hear the first responders were looking for you on the train. <laughs> yeah. Where's Miriam? Where's Miriam? Right. Doesn't she sit there? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it was pretty. It was uh, it was. Thank God. Haste Hashem is right. I've been saying that been saying that for the last day. Um, I, I thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a crazy schedule. I had reached out to you at the beginning of the week because a piece was released in the forward which which um, which which put forth the 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 premise or the theory that suicides in the ultra orthodox community were at an all time high in 2016. And um, as we began 2017 earlier this week, it was obviously a retrospective in 2016, which was horrifying and shocking. And while many people have nothing nice to say about about 2016 in general, that statistic, that kind of a comment was enough for me to pen you an email and say, Doc, what is up with that? And I think that we should we should just start by saying that you had written an article in September, which was printed in the JewishPress.com, in which you sort of, you know, take take that kind of a, a blanket statement to task. Yeah, um, we just, simply because we just don't have any statistics of prior years that are meaningful in any significant way. We talk about numbers. First of all, I have no way of verifying these numbers. Um, it's true that the Center for Disease Control and the National Institutes of Mental Health are reporting that suicide rates are up significantly in the, in the United States, and it's also true worldwide, and that's due to, to, to opioid use, uh, heroin and um, Oxycontin drugs and things like that, um, but we just don't have any data to compare within the from community. So when people come out and say that, well, this is the worst year ever, that's simply not a, a, a statement that we can verify. So before we make statements like that, maybe we need to take a careful look at, at what's going on uh, and what the causes might be. Um, I know part of the article that I wrote was relating uh, an incident that occurred when I was a uh, teenager. 100 years ago. Oh. Um, uh, not quite that long. No. <laughs> In, and, the, and the incident that you're referring to is when there was a, um, a, a gentleman who was found uh, around, and the circumstances of his death were, were, were circumspect. Right, correct. And, you know, it was attributed to drugs, but it was never proven. Um, it was ruled a suicide, but that was never proven. But... There were other incidents that had occurred around the same time as well. I, I had people that I went to school with who unfortunately passed away, attributed to things. And I, I, as I said, it goes back years. And they, they may have been depressed. They may have been abused. 
Um, they may have been doing drugs. We just don't know. The from community is a very difficult place to get that kind of solid information from. Um, nobody wants to talk about it openly. So the good part of this is that at least it's starting to come to the forefront. The bad part is to make these kind of blanket statements that are used more to scare people than to take a more rigorous, scientific, honest approach to evaluating what's going on and, and then targeting the proper resources to intervene in a positive way. Is there any is there any validity to say to saying that in particular for the ultra orthodox community which is what this article was positing is there any validity to saying that they're in that in that group suicides in 2016 were at an all-time high or still it's like how can you come across saying that? There's no way for me to to, to know that that's accurate. It's just an impossible statement statistically, demographically there's no way to validate that. Um I actually called, when I wrote the article for the Jewish Press, I called the medical examiner for several counties in the tri-state area, and I asked them if they could give me some data um, on where these, quote, suicides took place, and maybe by zip code we can, through the process of elimination, at least make some statements. And what they were able to give me was really nothing solid. Wow. Um, so... I don't know where the numbers are coming from. I know that there is an, an individual who runs an organization who is very keen on saying that there are at least 65 that occurred in 2016. Now, I'm aware of about 13 that occurred, um, but I know that some of them were due to drug use. But I also know, and this is, again, not a, a verifiable type thing because they weren't my patients, but I also know that some of them had been abused, uh, sexually abused, and uh, they were not getting the proper help for it. Um, and I also know one case where this one unfortunate individual was extremely depressed, and I don't know that he actually committed suicide so much as he was trying to, you know, call for help type of mm. thing, um, and he went a little too far without wanting to, which sometimes happens. Right. So the issue is a little bit more complex than, than simple answers are, are um, trying to give us that uh, that these are the numbers and this is what's going on. Right. So instead of making blanket statements that are, especially by you, a mental health professional who has written prolifically in this area, by instead of making blanket statements, which are frankly unhelpful, it's more important to take a very good look and figure out, even if there is one life taken, what is causing all of these individuals, whether it's one person, five person, or 60 people, what is causing them to take their own lives? Well, you know, I can make one blanket statement about the problem that I think is verifiable. I don't think we have the right resources that are properly targeting the problems. I mean, we talk about issues with kids who are off the derech. Um, 60 to 70 percent of the kids who are referred to kids, these are people between the ages of 16 and 30 who are off the derech, 60 to 70 percent of them who are referred to our practice, and it's not just me in the practice. There are seven of us in the practice. So we're talking about a significant number. 60 to 70 percent of them have a history of having been abused, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, or sexual abuse. There's something that happened to them that caused them to um, turn to a life that's different from the life that they were raised in. Um, so that's something that needs to be addressed. We know that in the from community, and not only within the Orthodox Jewish from community, but also in very religious communities that are, say, in the Catholic world or the Protestant world, uh, mental illness is still taboo and it's not discussed. So if you have a 22-year-old who happens to develop a depression for whatever reason, it's not allowed to be discussed in these communities or it's 
it's kind of poo-pooed and it's dismissed, or you're sent to a, a, uh, a religious healer who really doesn't know how to diagnose or treat the problem. And, and that's part of the issue here as well. And then, of course, there's this issue of, of alcohol and drugs in our community that nobody seems to be addressing. Mm. Um, so there's no question that there are things going on. There's no question that um, there are problems. There's no question that we have to do something. But to make blanket statements about uh, it's all due to the, uh, the, the heroin epidemic or the, the OxyContin epidemic or the opioid epidemic is really missing the boat. We really have to have a better understanding of what the problem is and target the resources appropriately. Um, our individual motivations for, for intervening are irrelevant until we understand where the problem is coming from. I imagine that statistically there are a much, there is a much greater number of adults who are walking the planet who have been abused or molested as children and are, are functioning, are more than functioning, are, are living lives, are living healthy and productive lives and somehow or another either with with outside help or even on their own have have learned to you know either put that in a box or cope with it in their own way and not let it and I'm I'm not saying this as a, as a judgment in a million years but not let it define them like that was something that 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 happened and was awful and and inappropriate and unfair but but something that you know they are able to to cope with on their own what happens to the other individuals who, if it happens once, it happens a hundred times, where they, they, they face, they face these, these awful situations and, and they cannot, they cannot cope. They cannot help themselves. And, and I, I mean, are there, like, I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure what I'm trying to say in so much as what makes one person be able to cope and the other person face the same situation and say, this, I, I can't do this. You know, you're asking the perennial question, and the, and the key word in, in our field is resiliency. Who's resilient and who isn't? Who's able to find a way to deal with it and who isn't? Well, it turns out that at this point in our knowledge base that most people, if they were abused, will carry those scars forever. Um, and at some point it will have an impact on them. To what degree? We don't know. There's no way... Um, there's no way to really yeah. examine that. We just don't have the data yet. There are people who are trying to collate that data and, and, and get a good handle on it, but as of this point, it doesn't exist. There are things we can do to increase resiliency, and in fact, that's a lecture that I tend to give, a, that I like to give a lot on, on increasing resiliency in families. And those people who are raised in families that know how to do that instinctively tend to be better able to deal with whatever the vicissitudes of life are for them, mm. um, whether it's abuse or, or financial reversals or whatever. Wow. And, you, and those lectures are directed at parents or they're deli deliver, delivered oh. to, to teachers? Yes, 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 <laughs> and yes, okay. and to students <laughs> and to yes, yeah. I, I mean, there's the variations that I use for different groups, but right. it's, you know, it's one of the lectures I love to give because it's you can see people connecting with the idea of what they need to do. Right. And it's amazing, though, to think about the fact that you can increase your own resiliency or you can increase somebody else's resiliency. You can you can be empowered to help somebody rebound from a from a challenging situation in a way 
in a better way than than they could on their own and and that this is not a this is a muscle that somebody can develop this is a muscle that can be strengthened this is not this is all you have you know you, you have blue eyes you have blue eyes this is not that this is this is something that inside all of us that we can strengthen and we can strengthen in others it's very empowering yeah and, and the interesting thing about it is is that if you go to the right kind of therapist, the proper therapist, a well-trained therapist, that's what they do also. They try to empower the person to deal with whatever their issues are and get stronger and, and make that muscle work better. And they, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal concept. It, it really is. So the bottom line is then, Doc, that, that there is help available. Yes, there is. But I, a word of caution. Okay. Um, I, I recently gave a lecture, and after the lecture, uh, this was to professionals, and it was about this issue of abuse and, and resiliency, and, and it was a very detailed clinical kind of lecture. And we were speaking about the kind of therapies that work and what doesn't work and, and who the proper therapists are. After the lecture, a, a, uh, a dean of a graduate school that grants uh, professional degrees in mental health, obviously I'm trying to be circumspect, mm-hmm. so I don't want to identify anyone, um, came up to me and said they've been collecting data um, on how many in our world, how many therapists in our from world are either not licensed, right. never passed their boards, right. and, and a whole host of other irregularities who are selling themselves as specialists in this area uh-huh. because this seems to be the... Epidemic. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I... Yeah, I completely, I, it stuns me. It stuns me. But I've heard this before, and actually, I've checked somebody out on the New York State database to only see that their name wasn't there. And they see patients. I, I, it was absolutely stunning to me. So what was your response? You're not telling me anything I don't know. I wish you would publish it. <sighs> They're afraid to. Wow. They're afraid to. Well, I guess everyone's afraid of something these days. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Dr. Michael Solomon joins us. He's the senior psychologist and director of ADC Psychological Services. He is a returning contributor here at That's Life, and he is also a fellow of the American Psychological Association. You know, Doc, with the with the start of 2017, everybody's looking at different healthy habits to take on, and of course, there are the classic New Year's resolutions. I joked at the beginning of the week that I wanted to welcome all of the people who were new at the gym. And um, as I'm sure I would not see them again in five weeks, but welcome to the gym for January. And um, and everyone always talks about the physical changes that they want to make to their lives about what they're eating, how they're treating their bodies. And all of that is great, and I'm not knocking it. But yesterday I had joined Yoni Pollock on Bite Size here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And he does a segment called Four to the Door, where he picks a topic, a, a topical topic, um, as the case may be, and we come up with our top four ideas. So for his, so the topic this week was four, top four health resolutions for 2017. And because, as you know, I'm already a gym rat, and I'm gluten-free, and I'm a vegetarian, and frankly, not too much fun to hang out with. Um, I don't eat chocolate. I don't eat nosh. Like, you, you know, need to have dark chocolate every day. I should. Oh, come on. I know. I, need, I really need to live a little. That is the truth. Um, so I decided that I was going to change my four to the door and include a mental health resolution. And, and Yoni said that was okay because I wasn't increasing the number of times I go to the gym. I mean... There's pathological and then there's pathological. So I added to my list going to shul more. 
that was going to be one of my resolutions. And Yoni looked at me, as he often does, and for good reason, like I was completely nuts. And I said to him that that, that studies have shown, and correct me if I'm wrong, that studies have shown that people who are involved in community live longer and more productive and happier lives. And obviously, Healthier as well. It turns out physically healthier lives, too. Why is that? Is it just the walk to shul? <laughs> maybe the walk to shul is helpful, or maybe just being around people is helpful. We know that people who have a large social network tend to be healthier in general. Uh, we know that they live longer and happier lives. In fact, that's one of the two most important things that you can do to stay healthy, is, is to have a large social network that you're engaged with, not to just say, I have friends, but don't get involved with them, mm-hmm. and, and, and to get exercise, physical exercise, the two most important things to staying healthy. So and young. And so friends on Facebook doesn't cut it. Oh, no. Not, not really doesn't. I mean, if you're, if you're physically isolated for, physic, for health reasons, it's a reasonable substitute. But if you're not, then it's just an excuse not to be involved with the world. And do you have patients who come and see you and are, you know, being medicated and, and you're not, you know, the, the physician who's dealing with their, their pharma, pharmacological, regu- you know, regulating. Um, but yet you look at them and say, listen, I really think you need to go to the gym. I really think you need to be part of some kind of a social group. Like, do you look at them and, and, and give them those kind of suggestions to, to get them out of where they are? I always do. Wow. I mean, I'm a... a I'm a well-trained therapist, if I do say so myself. I'm trained in several different approaches, but I am more of what they call a cognitive behavioral therapist than anything else. And what we do is we give homework. As a CBT therapist, you give homework. And the homework I give is you've got to get more exercise, you've got to be more in touch with people, and if they're religious, whatever that religion is, I encourage them to go to services. Wow. So shul really is good for you? Absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely. On a variety of levels. First of all, it's a social environment. As right. you know, you talk in shul. Right. <laughs> or That's if you the... go to church, you talk after church. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. But also, there's something about the meditative effect of being involved in a congregation where you're all kind of joining together in a prayer for everyone's well-being. Oh. That's a certain spiritual... That's a good point. You're praying for each other. Yeah. You're praying for everyone's goodness. That's a really good point I did not think of. That's, a, that's an additional point I really, wow, I did not think of. Dr. Michael Solomon has joined us today. He is a fellow of the American Psychological Association. You can reach him at psychologicalhelp.org. He is the Senior Psychologist Director of ADC Psychological Services in Hewlett, New York. That's 516-596-0073. And you can also see Dr. Solomon in shul because he is a regular shul goer. That I am. Doc. And proud of it. Well, I'm going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to hang on to that also. I'm definitely going to be going more. Doc, I thank you as always. Continued good health, mental health, physical health for all of us. Amen. Thank you, My sir. Pleasure. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. And boy, that was a... That was a great, great interview. He always gives such good content. Let's go through the lineup for the rest of the day so you know what to expect, what to look forward to, and certainly what not to miss. Nahum will host the live lunch starting in just a few moments. That is from 11 to 1 here on the uh, Nahum Siegel Network. And the rest of the phenomenal programming here at the Nahum Siegel Network continues the rest of the day. Don't miss Throwback Thursday starts right after the live lunch. Also, tomorrow morning, I feel like I say this every single week, but something crazy happens every single week, and it only makes the weekly update that much more relevant. Tomorrow morning, Malcolm Holmline joins Nahum for the weekly update, scheduled at 7.40 a.m. You cannot miss it. Every day is a new day here 
and something else has happened. So you don't want to miss what's going on this week and Malcolm's take on it. And by the way, the archives for the weekly update are available on the app. So if you do miss it, you are completely welcome to check it out on the app. There is plenty of opportunity to listen to all of our content. Uh, the conclusion of Jamie Naiman is an it is a new presentation of Table for Two, hosted by Naomi Nachman at 9 a.m. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull this Motzei Shabbat. Matis hosts JM Sunday. It has he continues to seamlessly do since, since its inception this Sunday at 7 a.m. And we close with this track. From Matanok Tanot by Ellie Marcus and Aryeh Kunstler and Evan Al. It is a com- cover of the Rami Kleinstein favorite, and it's fantastic. It is Matanot Tanot. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. <laughs> שיירות לבנות חוזרות מבית ספר והריח הזה ששורט לי את הלב מתקנב, מתקנב, מתנתח פלטות אין עושר מתנות קטנות, מי שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, בסיסים של כוונה, עיגולים של אמונה, מתנות קטנות, עוד אפשר כבר לבקש מתנות קטנות זה עוד יום שישי נרפסת ביתו שמש כמו הדאגות לאף נמחקת זוחלות מהחלות, ושום שערה כמו לא תסתיר פה את השקר. מתנות קטנות, מי שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות, ניסים של כוונה, עיגולים של אמונה. מתנות קטנות, מי שהוא שלח לי מתנות קטנות,
מתנות קטנות, שהוא שם לה בלי מתנות קטנות. 